0: So we're in 1 Corinthians 7. We got all the way through verse 16, I believe. And what we talked about last time is concept of divorce and putting away and what the differences were between those two things. And I mentioned that as you read the lead into this, it sounds like Paul is kind of lukewarm at best on the idea of marriage i don't believe he is but we'll pick up the reason for that as we go on tonight i was hoping to throw all that last time but we had so many questions and crosstalk that we never got through it all so we're now down to first corinthians 7 7 17 only let each person lead the life that the lord has assigned to him and to which god has called him this is my rule in all the churches Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each should remain in the condition in which he was called. 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave to Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. So now let's back up. This ricochets through a lot of Paul. And Let's start with circumcision. One of the things that happens when we go through Romans and so forth and especially as people come into being messianic is they want to be Jews or Hebrews and where they go is of course Romans where it says you're grafted in and I will suggest that this passage is a tempering to that statement because what he's saying is if you were uncircumcised stay that way if you were circumcised, don't try and change that. There, there was a brisk deal, at least at the time when the Greeks were in charge of Israel, of circumcision reversal, because, of course, the Greeks exercised naked and it became very obvious who was a Jew and who wasn't. And so the Jews, to fit in, would try and reverse their circumcision. You all remember that he's got two young men who are his disciples. Titus and Timothy. And you'll remember that Timothy is ethnically Jewish. His mother was a Jew. Titus is ethnically Gentile. His mother was not a Jew. Nor was his father, as far as we know. So when Paul took Timothy on, Timothy was uncircumcised as a young man. So Paul had him circumcised because he is a Jew. Titus was uncircumcised when he took him on Paul never had him circumcised and he makes a big deal out of the difference between those two states now notice that the other thing he says in verse 19 for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but keep the commandments of God it is not contradictory for Timothy keeping the commandments of God as a Jew involved being circumcised for Titus keeping the commandments of God did not involve becoming circumcised. He is pure 100% Gentile. There's no requirement anywhere in Scripture that Gentiles become circumcised unless they want to eat the Passover. So if they move in with Israel and they live among Israel, if they want to eat the Passover, then they become circumcised. You don't have to keep the Passover if you're not an Israelite. The passage is specifically if they desire to keep the Passover. It is not When they move here, they have to keep the Passover. Therefore, they have to get circumcised. That is not what the passage says. But the other part of that is nobody is keeping Passover at the moment. Back in the first century, that's the question. If I want to keep the Passover, the only way I can do that is to become circumcised. No, you're not, because you can't sacrifice a lamb. There's no temple. You can't sacrifice a lamb. The Passover specifically involves bringing a lamb, getting it four days ahead of time, having it inspected, taking it to the temple, sacrificing it, roasting it with fire, no bones are broken, all those kinds of things. There's a whole procedure to make a lamb sacrifice for Passover. We can do none of that. All we're doing is we're having a memorial meal to remind us of those events. Torah law is specific to specific people. There are things in the Torah that apply to women. There are things in the Torah that apply to priests. There are things in the Torah that apply to Hebrews. When people come into the Messianic movement, they get really big on, okay, I'm grafted in. And you may be or you may not be. Certainly you may choose to join Israel if you are not a member of Israel. You also may choose not to join Israel, and depending on whether you make that choice, there are different parts of the Torah that apply. The definition of grafted in is the root supports you, you don't support the root. And the question becomes, what's the root? I have always taken that to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. nation Israel supports you, you don't support the nation kind of thing. Now, Romans, remember, is written to four groups of people. There are four different categories of people in the Roman church or synagogue that Paul is writing to. You've got group number one, who are traditional Jews. Black gangster hats, curly cues, the whole nine yards. They are not messianic. They are traditional Jews. Type number two is Jews like Paul, who is a Jew and he's also a believer in Yeshua. So we would call him a messianic Jew. Type number three are Gentiles who are in the process of becoming Jews. The Jews would call them proselytes. And then type number four is people like the household of Cornelius, who are just random Gentiles that the Holy Spirit has landed on. They have come to a knowledge of Yeshua, then they're now in the synagogue because that's where the books are, and they wanna study about this God that has saved them. So as you're reading Romans, you've got to figure out which one of those four groups he's referring to when we're talking about drafted in. So, for example, proselytes are definitely in the process of being grafted in. Also, if you regard the root as being the kingdom of God as opposed to Israel, then it means something different. Now, the other place we need to go, we need to go to Acts chapter 15. And this is the Council of Jerusalem and they dealt with this exact question so acts 15 one, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question so the whole question being asked here is okay Cornelius, or, you know, I'm using Cornelius as sort of my poster child for a Gentile who has come into the kingdom of God. I'm I'm going to call him Cornelius from now on, but obviously there are lots of them. So the question becomes, Cornelius has got the Holy Spirit, he's showing evidence of the Holy Spirit, it's clear that he's in the kingdom of God, do we need to get him circumcised? And they have a great deal of discussion about it, but at the end of the day, James, who is the leader of the church. You know, he's the Nazi, the, the prince of the church. So verse 12, I'm now in Acts 15, 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, and as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, I will build the tent of David that has fallen, I will build its ruins, and I will restore it, that a remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things go from the old. Notice these are Gentiles. These are Gentiles who are called by his name. They are a people that is taken by God, just like Israel is a people that was taken by God. Verse 19, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And that's the ruling. Notice there isn't anything about having them circumcised. Paul is saying the same thing in 1 Corinthians. you got the Holy Spirit. You're in the kingdom of God. In the Baptist sense, you are saved. Hallelujah. You do not, however, need to take on the external markings of Israel. In other words, you are another people that has been taken by God, just like Israel is a people who has been taken by God. Every bit as much in the kingdom as Israel is, but you are different. Now, having said that, there's a procedure that you can go through and you can become a member of Israel. Israel is easy to join. I mean, it isn't really a big deal. But that involves a number of things, one of which is circumcision. Depends on what you're grafted into. Let's go look at that passage. Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am a an Israelite, a son of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life? But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee of all. So too in the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer the basis of works. Likewise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day, and so forth. Verse 11. So I ask Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Notice Israel is in no sense rejected. Back up a second, since I want a complete understanding. Who is it that blinded Israel? that they would go into exile god did so when israel finally gets right up to here and god says you guys can't govern yourselves anymore what he does is he hardens their heart and then he sends assyrians or babylonians or romans or greeks or somebody and they come through and they scatter them always with a promise of return so they have been scattered but there is a promise of return, and they have been scattered by God. So now, let's pick it up in verse 11 again. Romans 11, 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. In other words, there's a reason why the Gentiles were allowed in. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? In other words, they are going to return. 13, so now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my minister in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejections means a reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So what are we talking about? We're talking about roots all of a sudden, aren't we? So if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but stand in awe. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So the question becomes, what is the root? What are you grafted into? You could also be grafted into the kingdom of God. Because remember, they're a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and they are part of the kingdom of God. But everything else in Scripture that I know of says Gentiles don't need to become circumcised. Gentiles don't necessarily need to eat kosher. So if you're grafted into Israel, it would seem to me that then you would say, Oh, you're now part of Israel. Well, here's the Torah for Israel. Neither Paul nor the Jerusalem church said so. And Paul explicitly says in 1 Corinthians back here, in 1 Corinthians 7.19, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Well, if Gentiles have become part of Israel, one of the commandments of God is Israel has to be circumcised. And again, notice that both Paul and the council make a big deal about circumcision. And the same thing happens in the book of Galatians. Paul writes about it explicitly. It's a burning question in the early church. At the age of 40 or 50, getting circumcised is a big deal. It truly is. So it's a major question. And the question are, are these people Israel or are they a chosen people? As Israel is a chosen people, not necessarily the same chosen people. So now we're back in 1 Corinthians. I'm down to verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And by the way, the word present there can also be translated as imminent. So let me read it that way. Verse 26 again. I think that in view of the imminent distress, It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So, all of this chapter is in that context. So, at the beginning, when Paul starts off, and he really, really seems to be lukewarm on marriage, The thing that Paul has got in his mind is the second coming is imminent and I would really rather have you concentrating on God than concentrating on romance. And he says in view of the imminent distress, which is to say things are going to start happening really quickly now. So this is not the right time to be starting a family. This is not the right time to be making big changes. Get yourself prepared for the second coming of Christ because it's imminent. That's his attitude. Very much the opposite of what Jeremiah told them when they got sent to Babylon. So I do not take it as being the case that Paul is in any way hostile to marriage. And we talked about it last time that it's very probable that Paul himself was married and had given his wife a get when he was called to go on this missionary trip. So in that sense, he is not married. And what he's thinking is, Yeshua could come back at any time, and what you want to be doing is concentrating on being prepared for when he returns and not be concentrated on family affairs and all that kind of stuff because that will distract you. I'm in 1 Corinthians 7.32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. This is in response to a question. He's answering questions that they have given him from a letter that we do not have. So as he has said before, he is expecting what we call the Great Tribulation. And what he's saying is, the Great Tribulation is not a good place to start a family because your loyalties will be divided. That's all he's saying. Verse 36, If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, Let him do as he wishes, let him marry, it is no sin. Verse 37, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and is determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So my impression of the whole thing is God designed you to marry. God designed you to desire one another. Things are going to get really bad really soon. So if you are not bound together with a husband or wife, better to stay that way. But if the passions that God built into you are too strong, better that you get married rather than live in sin. All of this is not God's commandment, it's Paul's opinion. And it's been 2,000 years now, and we're still waiting. And if everybody followed Paul's advice to the letter, the church would have died out. One other thought, You remember, I think we talked about this last time, but if we didn't, we'll talk about it now. What did God say through Moses to Israel before giving the Ten Commandments? Don't come together as man and woman. And they were three days getting ready, and during that time, they stayed separate. So if Paul is of the opinion that things are going to happen very quickly, and he says, if you're separate, stay that way, because if you don't, then your attentions are going to be divided, just like they would be divided at the foot of the mountain if you're cohabiting the night before. Back at the beginning of this, he says, if you are married, don't keep yourselves apart, except perhaps for a short time for prayer and devotion, but then come back together. So he's not talking in terms of lifelong celibacy here, I think it's all in the context of it's about to get serious here and this isn't a good time to be starting anything new.